0: Good morning, church. Turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Jackie's feeling his oats today, so we're going to read 12 verses. Starting in verse 9 through verse 20. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately, coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the good news and for the opportunity to read it and to understand it and to grow closer to you. Uh, I pray this morning that as we read the beginning uh, of the earthly ministry of your son, Lord, that we would receive the word that you have for us, that we would clearly understand uh, what you want to say to us, and that we could learn to immediately follow you when you give the word. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: As we look uh, this morning at the Gospel of Mark, I think uh, one of the neat things to to kind of grasp from Mark is... Uh, I know that, that the Gospel of Mark is definitely written by a guy. Because if he could use less words to say something, he would do it. He is to the point. Remember, when we look at Mark, Mark's written from the point of view uh, of a servant. And it's sent to Rome, to the to the people at Rome at the time when it's finished. And so being sent to to the people at Rome and coming from the point of view of a servant, it's all about deeds and not as much about words. You'll find m- much less words throughout the book of Mark than you'll find in any of the other Gospels. He's going to go straight to the point. He doesn't mince a lot of words. He just wants... To, to lead us to those very important nuggets that we want to glean. Last week we saw that he titled this gospel. We call it the gospel of Mark, but he titled it the gospel of Jesus Christ, Son of God. That we would know right out first verse who he's talking about, what it's all about. But remember the Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name, it's a title. Christ means Messiah. There was a promise way back, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, that said, when when God was speaking to Adam and Eve, He said, look, I know that you've lost everything right now, I just want you to kind of picture how it was for them, because they blew it, right? Everybody knows the story. Uh, Eve was deceived, but Adam transgressed, that means Eve was tricked, but Adam knew what he was doing, and he did it anyway, and... So God stands before man and the serpent and he brings judgment. The very first judgment that God brings. And as he lays it out, he gives the promise of Messiah. It's called the Proto-Evangelicum. The first mention of the gospel in the Bible. Genesis chapter 3. That's pretty early, right? Most of us know Genesis, the first book. Chapter 3 is about the first time you got people talking. That's how long it took man to sin and mess it up. So God, when He's laying it all out for him, he tells them The seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. The serpent will bruise his heel, but he will crush his head. The proto-evangelicum. How many of us know today that the seed is not in a woman? Egg is in the woman. Thanks, brother. Somebody had to know, right? <laughs> I was hoping. Jason was a little late, but... Boy, Danielle will explain it to him later. <laughs> so anyways, the, the concept is, all the way back Genesis chapter 3, he lays out for us that there will be a child born of a virgin. No man involved. That way the sin won't, the sin nature won't be passed to the child. And this child is going to crush, that's a death blow, the head of the serpent. Gonna gonna kill the serpent. Serpent's the devil. He's gonna destroy the devil. But the devil's gonna bruise his heel. Means the devil's gonna hurt him. There's a price Messiah will pay in order to defeat Satan. First time it's ever mentioned. And so when we come through Mark and we see the the birth of this promise, the Messiah's come. The people last time we talked about 400 years of silence. God hasn't spoke. There hasn't been a prophet. All of a sudden come on the scene is a guy named John the Baptist. Remember he's dressed in poor people's clothes. Camel hair. He's eaten poor people's food. He's considered among the common man, but don't lose sight of the fact that John the Baptist grew up in a priest's home. His father was a priest. That makes him of the tribe of Levi. That means all them scribes and Pharisees that are coming, sneaking in and checking out what he's doing, he knows them. He knows who they are and and what they're about and they're trying to figure out what John's doing. John, what are you doing? Dressed like this and and coming out here with this message of repentance. Get your heart right. Messiah is coming. One of the last prophecies in in the Bible, in the book of Malachi said... Before Messiah comes, I will send a voice crying in the wilderness, making straight paths for the Lord. And so here comes John the Baptist. People are flocking to him. Why? Because people then, just like now, are looking for something to make sense out of life. And those people had lived long enough to know that all the stuff they were living for was not bringing them what they wanted in life. Look, this is how most people deal with religion. Which, by the way, I hate that word. But this is how they deal with religion. They go and they put in one hand what they want. I want this, whatever it is, uh, the perfect family. I want a really close-knit family. Uh, uh, and, I, and I want uh, 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 the people that I hang out with to, to be people I can really get along with. And so they have this set of desires. There's my desire. And then they walk around and they look at the, the world's religious systems. And they say, which one is going to get me this? And that's how they go. And if that's the way we enter into Christianity, we're going to be disappointed. Because in Christianity, the Lord doesn't say, come to me and I'll give you all the stuff you want. And I'll make your life all come together and all the pieces will neatly fit and it'll all be exactly what you want. Jesus said crazy things when people started to come to him. He said, said things to make people leave. You don't remember? Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. Well, most people got a place to lay their head, but I don't got no place to lay my head. You still want to come? Well, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Let the dead bury the dead. You come and follow me. Jesus tells a parable in the book of Matthew about excuses people would give not to come to the kingdom. One fellow said, you know, I just got married and and things are going really good. Please excuse me. I'm not going to be able to come. Another fellow said, you know, I just got a whole bunch of new oxen. got this really neat opportunity and I got to get the plowing. So please excuse me from the kingdom. Same excuses happen today. Here's the stuff I want. Who's going to give it to me? when Jesus called a man, he bids a man come and die. That's why this is different than everything else. Jesus bids a man come and die. Forsake all. Let it all go. Now today we're going to see fellows called by Jesus, right? Jesus is going to come up and say, come follow me. And people are going to choose to to follow him. That doesn't rattle your noodle a little bit. But you read how it happened. If you want to try to comfort yourself, you can read the other Gospels. They're pretty much the same, though. Jesus walked up, said, hey, come follow me. And they left it and went. And that's still how God calls people to himself today. If in one hand I'm holding on to some other scheme, some plan, something that I want to gain, and that's not Christ, that he's not my treasure, my desire, if there's something else that I'm looking for or living for other than him, then I might find myself in a place where I'm trying to use religion to get what I want, and that just doesn't work. That's not the plan. As we look this morning at the Gospel of Mark, we see Jesus laying out the concept. Come follow me. So I'm going to encourage you to follow him just like he's walking. Let's look at the first part. Mark 1, verse 9. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee... And was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens parting and a spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well, if we're following Jesus, the first place we're going to follow him is to baptism. Baptism is something you're, you're, you can't you go through the book of Acts and not run into baptism. Right? Everybody knows that? Everywhere you go, baptism's all over the place. All over the place. We you know what's interesting about this baptism that, that Jesus has. We know that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, right? Repenting from sin. Dying to an old life. Looking forward to a new life. They looking to Messiah who was coming. We looking back to Messiah who came. And and But when we look at Christ, that's not, he didn't need his sins covered. He didn't have any. He didn't have any well here's what we see as we look through scripture we discover that anytime there was a prophet priest or king beginning a ministry they would go down into what is called a mikvahot a mikvahot was a man-made pool that had stairs down one side you walk down you would dunk walk up the other side change your clothes put on the new and head out towards your ministry but Jesus did something special. He went down where everybody else was. Who do you think was coming to John the Baptist? You think all the the highfalutin folk were down there? Maybe some, but most highfalutin folk don't go hang out with a guy wearing camel hair and eating locusts. He's saying, "Hey, you want? I'll share my lunch with you." Not a lot of people lining up for that. The poor, the people on the fringe. On the edge, Jesus went there to start. We look at the the baptism of Christ and we recognize that the reason you and I and anybody else who, who proclaims faith in Jesus Christ ought to be baptized is because Jesus was. And he said, it is fitting for all righteousness, which is a Bible speak for... It's the right thing to do. Is that enough for you? Or does there have to be another reason? Some people want to put a lot of weight on baptism and say baptism saves you. There's just one problem. We read in the book of Acts and you you run into this group of guys who not only are saved, but then the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they begin to speak in tongues before they were ever baptized. And that's not possible if you're not saved. So the the baptism we want to follow christ in is that the baptism that baptism that says the symbol the symbolic baptism I go I'm dying to my old life and I'm raised again in a new life and now I'm on track I'm following Jesus the reason everyone did it was to make that statement I'm following Jesus and they want everybody to hear him I'm following Jesus I made a decision I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to go wherever He leads me. The other thing that we see in this section of Scripture is the approval of heaven. Right? You see all three members of the Godhead in one place at one time functioning together. You see God the Son coming up out of the water. God the Spirit descending upon him like a dove, and God the Father speaking from heaven. Oneness theology cannot explain that. If God is only one being at a time, how does He at three different places in three different persons at the same time? It's a triune God. There proclaiming before the people His approval of, of what's going on. And the cool thing is, probably none of the people hanging around saw it or heard it. If you look through most of the Gospels, it's going to say, He, Jesus, looked up and saw heavens open and the Spirit descending. Luke's going to say the Spirit descending in, in bodily form, meaning there was some visible manifestation of the Spirit coming down, and then he describes it in falling like a dove. And so the Spirit coming down upon Jesus, Jesus sees him, Jesus hears the Father. There's no indication in the Gospels anybody else does. He had all he needed though. He had the approval of his Father. When you follow Jesus... And we walk through the things Jesus did. Is it enough for you just to have the approval of the Father? Nobody else hears. Nobody else sees. Nobody else knows. Is it enough for you to follow Jesus and just know that you are pleasing your Father in heaven? That you're bringing glory to Him. Because it was enough for Jesus Christ, certainly, as He is, uh, is there experiencing this. Now it's interesting because we look at the phrase, and the heavens opened. And if you look in the scripture in Isaiah chapter 64, we see that same phrase, the same phrase being used, only it's in a prayer, crying out to God to come. It says, oh, that you would rend the heavens, same exact word. Rend the heavens. In Mark it's a, the the when it says the heavens opened literally means they're torn apart. That you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. In Isaiah 64, it's a cry that God would come and that he would set things right and that he would fix the problems in the world and the brokenness in man. And right here in Mark chapter one, God's answering it. And the heavens are opening. And the Spirit is coming and descending upon His Son. And He's going to move forward in ministry. And as He does, He's going to fix the brokenness of man. But when we look at it, I just want to encourage you. Jesus healed a lot of people. What do all those people have in common? Yeah, they all still died. Jesus is going to raise people from the dead. What happened to them? They still died. The work that he came to do was to save us eternally. So that we stand in God's presence, rather than looking for the temporal gifts, which it's okay to ask for, but rather than looking for the temporal gifts, we're looking for the eternal. Rather for what I can have right now, I'm looking for what I get when I see Jesus face to face. For the excitement of getting that one opportunity in your whole life. One chance. You get one life to have one chance. To hear Jesus say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's happiness. Enter into his rest. One shot. One life. He lays it out for us. So that we would learn everything, every, the reason why oftentimes we cry out to God and the temporal that we want we don't have here is because He's teaching us not to hold on to the temporal. If you follow God for what you can gain temporally for, for the money or for the job or for the, the stuff, then you're not really following God, you're following the gifts that are falling out of God's pockets. But if you're following God, it doesn't matter whether He gives those things or He doesn't. And He does. The Bible says, no good thing will He withhold from you. So God gives good things, but if we're living for those good things, we're living for the temporal. And our Christianity is going to go like this, up and down and sideways, and we're going to be all jacked up all the time. Because sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says to you, I have allowed this in your life so that you will be weak, so that I can be strong. That's living for the eternal, not the temporal. When Jesus came, He came to solve the problem eternally. He healed a lot of people. And he did incredible miracles. He did things that the Bible said nobody else would do except Messiah. He did all of that stuff. And we look at that and sometimes we focus on it. And those are really cool things. And it's great when God does it in the church today. Because He still heals today. But it's important that we learn to live for the eternal. Not the temporal. That we're living for that day, that moment that opportunity to hear those words. Just one life. It's no reset button, no redo. One chance to be able to hear that praise coming from the Lord's lips. So the heavens open, just like was prayed in Isaiah 64, and the Holy Spirit came down. Now the Holy Spirit was always with Him. The Holy Spirit was in Jesus Christ from birth. So what is this? This is the Holy Spirit coming upon him for ministry. You see, one of the incredible things about the life of Christ, as we learn, though we we try to use this excuse often when we look at Jesus and the the example that he is for us, well, of course, Jesus did it. He's God. But the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that he emptied himself. It's the great kenosis. It's the same language used of a Roman centurion who had the coolest uniform throughout history. If you see a Roman centurion, that guy was the... He was... Man, he was rocking the uniform. Killer uniform. Shiny, big old hat with the little... whatever, fluffy thing over the top. He'd probably get mad if I told him it was a fluffy thing. But it, They had these cool uniforms. But they didn't go to battle like that. If a centurion went to battle like that, what are they going to do? They're going to say, There's a centurion. Go get him. He's in charge of 100 guys. When he falls, 99 guys aren't going to know what to do. So what did he do? Same exact word used in the Greek was described, the kenosis. He emptied himself. He took off all that fancy stuff and he put on the same uniform everybody else has. And then he stands in the middle of his men and he fights right there with him. That's the kenosis that Jesus did. He emptied himself of all that, still God, but he emptied himself of all that stuff. And he came to show you and I what could be accomplished in a man totally surrendered to God and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And so that's what Jesus did. That's what he did. He responds, he is controlled by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes upon him, descends like a dove, the heavens parting and the Spirit descending. And we know for sure that Jesus and John are eyewitnesses of it. We know John is because in the, I want to say it's in the Gospel of John, but you guys check it out and make sure. Oh. Man, sometimes you get answers really quick. When John says that the one who sent him to baptize told him, the one upon whom he saw the Spirit descending, and then he puts this phrase, and remaining, that's the Christ. And so John sees, we know John sees and we know Jesus sees, the the descending of the Holy Spirit upon him. And then we see in Isaiah 61, I just want to remind you, Isaiah 61, a, a prophecy about the Messiah, It's the Messiah speaking in Isaiah 61. He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are abound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. In a little synagogue in Nazareth, Jesus read this. After the baptism... I'm probably getting ahead of myself. But after the baptism, and after the time in the wilderness, and all that happens, then Jesus goes into the synagogue, and He reads Isaiah 61, which is a verse spoken in the voice of Messiah. He stands in front of the people, He reads it, and then He says to them, Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I am He. And they try to throw Him off a cliff. And Jesus... Walks through the middle of them. Why did He walk through the middle of them? Because it wasn't His time yet. Nobody can touch you unless Dad says it's okay. Nobody. Never. Jesus was never afraid. Not of the crowds, not of their anger. He was moved with compassion, but not with fear. He just passed through the middle of them. And He continued to take that message. I am Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then we see the voice of the Father, right? The voice of the Father speaks. He says three things. He says, this is my Son, which Mark told us in verse 1, right? Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and God the Father at, the, at his baptism announces the same thing. This is my Son. He's my Son. Psalm 2.7 says, I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. The word begotten in, in Hebrew and Greek is a strange word. It doesn't necessarily mean someone born. It means someone unique. You'll notice that there are several times that the Bible will call a son of a uh like like uh of Isaac, Jacob and Esau. He'll call one of the sons, Jacob, the only begotten. Why does he call him the only begotten? He had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Because he's the unique one through whom Messiah is going to come. It's a phrase that's used throughout Hebrew and Greek for the understanding of the unique. That which is unique. When God speaks from heaven. This is my son. What else did he say? Whom I love. He said, my beloved son. Anytime we see something happening like that, keep in mind, God himself hasn't spoken out loud to the people in a long time. So here's God speaking to his son. We know John can hear. And so God speaking and he says, this is my son whom I love. Immediately he's going to think of Genesis 22 too. Why? Why would he immediately think of that? Because that's the first place in the Bible a father says he loves his son. You know the story? Abraham. Yes, Lord? Take your son, your only son, the son whom you love and sacrifice him on the mountain that I will show you. Remember the story? Abraham, it's a picture of, of Abraham offering his son, which is the type of God the Father taking his son and now offering him. What's it say in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son. What did he give him for? Just show up? He gave him to die, Right? He gave him to die, just like Abraham was called to offer his son. The final thing that the Lord said, that the Father said from heaven, He said, this, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Isaiah 42.1 Isaiah, uh, from, from chapter 40 to chapter 55, is a several prophecies concerning the suffering servant. The suffering servant. Interesting that Mark would would choose this. But here's what it says in Isaiah 42.1. Behold, my servant, the Messiah, my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit on him, and he will bring forth justice for the Gentiles. He's going to do the work. He's going to answer what he said in Isaiah 64. He's going to solve the brokenness of mankind. He is the suffering servant. Come. He's the one come to die. So the Lord says, man, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Is it enough for you? Are you willing to follow Jesus in the things he did? Baptism. Always trip when people aren't willing to do that. Why? Why not? What's the big deal? It don't even hurt. It's not like you got to get a tattoo or circumcised or something. (laughs) And is it enough for you when you follow Jesus just to have the praise of the Father? My beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Next we see in in verse 12, are, are you willing to follow Jesus, listen to this word, through temptation? Because Jesus shows us how to walk through temptation. Most of us know how to be tempted. He doesn't teach us that part. He teaches us how to go through temptation. Look at it. It says in verse 12, "Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness." Mark 1:12. Immediately the first act of the empowering and indwelling Spirit was to bring the Messiah to a place of testing and temptation. you ever been through that? The first act, the Holy Spirit takes him to the mount of temptation. Scripture lays out for us here in Mark, in verse 13, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. It's imperfect. It means that there was a continual temptation going on. We know that after 40 days, there are three specific temptations that the other uh, Gospels tell us about. Mark's not going to tell us about any of the temptations. He's going to say he went. And for 40 days he was tempted. And of course, Jesus, the Son of God, comes out victorious. He comes out victorious. But we can learn by following him how to come through temptation. Look what the scripture says. He was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. We're going to follow him. The first key is that we are being controlled by the Holy Spirit. We have a choice in our life. We're either controlled by the Spirit or we're controlled by the flesh. Most of us spend more time controlled by the flesh than we do controlled by the Spirit. But if we're going to follow the Lord through temptation, we got to be controlled by the Spirit, which means sometimes He's going to take us to a hard place. He's going to take us through difficult times. Anybody ever experienced that? Psalm 23, everybody remember how that goes? Jason? You just gonna leave me hanging or the Lord? <laughs> Thank you. When we go through the twenty third Psalm sorry, that's a bad joke. As you know it's bad because nobody else knows it, but I love you anyway, Jace. We go through the twenty third Psalm and we come to the phrase, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will why? Yeah, that's right, because you are with me. We're going through, right? And he's going to comfort us through the valley of the shadow of death. How? With a rod and a staff. One used for discipline, one used for guiding. Sometimes discipline is a comfort. The Bible says in in the book of Hebrews, not to despise the chastening of the Lord. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And scourges every son. The the scripture lays out for us that, that it's okay. God corrects us, tells us that we belong to God. When Christian kids get busted and caught for doing wrong, that's good. That's actually a good sign. Sometimes I looked at my kids when they were young and I thought, Oh Lord, who's gonna save their soul? And they got caught every time they'd done something wrong. Every time I turn around. They were if they did it. Somebody caught him. Somebody saw him. They thought I had a whole network of spies out there. But really, it's God. He don't let you go. He won't let you go. You will get caught. Because He loves you. His rod and His staff... Comfort you. We want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit and allow Him to guide us and direct us. It says in Matthew four one. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You see what it said. And Jesus was what led up? How by the Spirit. He's being controlled by the Spirit. He's going where the Spirit tells him to go. Luke four one. The same. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, <coughs> returned from the Jordan. And was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. First key going through temptation is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Look, if you give your life to Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in you. That doesn't mean He controls you. The Bible says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. That means you're only going to do what you're willing to do. If you're not willing to do it, nothing's going to happen. If you're sitting around waiting for some magic power to take control of you and start moving your legs and your hands so you know where you're going to go, you're going to be disappointed. But if you're willing to respond as the Holy Spirit leads, how's He lead? He directs us through His Word. He directs us through prayer. He directs us through that still, small voice. So as we allow that direction to come, will you be controlled? Jesus was willing to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And then, it's funny, do you know, Mark doesn't tell us, what did Jesus do to to defeat the devil? What did the devil do in the temptations? He misquoted Scripture. Yeah, he'd he'd take a Scripture out of context and say, Hey, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Because the Lord... He's, he's given you that power. You can, you can turn all these stones into bread. You remember what Jesus said? A man shall not... What's he quoting? Deuteronomy. Old Testament. Three times. I, was that just something man didn't know until Jesus showed up? Sometime when you have opportunity, I encourage you to read the 119th Psalm. You will know which one is the 119th Psalm if you remember this. It's the longest one. It is an acrostic and it begins, every section begins with another letter of the Hebrew alphabet. You won't be able to tell that in English because they it's just translated. That part doesn't translate. And as we go through, listen to what the 119th Psalm said about overcoming temptation. How can a young man cleanse his way? By paying heed according to your word. In the 119th Psalm, there's four different ways that they're going to describe God's word. His commandments, His statutes, um, His word. What's, a, what's the fourth one? What am I leaving out? I'm leaving out one. We'll probably find it here in a minute. In Psalm 119, verse 11, He says, Your word I have hid in my heart, what? That I might not sin against you. Psalm 119:30. I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. Judgments. Just another word for the Word of God. Your Word is before me, so I will follow the way of truth. Psalm 119.66. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Another word for the Word. I believe your Word. I believe your Word. So He's going to teach me good judgment and knowledge, so I can do and be, be controlled. By the Spirit. In Psalm 119, 101, I have restrained my feet from every evil way so that I might keep your word. Throughout Psalm 119, every verse is about the word of God and what the word of God does. To overcome temptation, we're going to follow Jesus through temptation. We need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And we need to have his word in our heart. There's no shortcut to that. There's no shortcut to having the Word of God in your heart. that you just have to put the word in. How's the word get there? You read it. Read it. You should read the word every single day. You know, I've got a great way to help you do that. Through the Bible in a year, Bibles or in a bookstore, if you can't afford one, take one and I'll pay for it. Read the Bible every day. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance the things that you've read. But if you're not reading, what's it going to bring to remembrance? Not too much, right? I want to be controlled by the, by the Spirit and I want to follow Jesus through his use of the word. I also want to encourage you on you know, Scripture <clears throat> there's two Testaments Old Testament and New Testament. If you only come to Calvary Chapel Buell on Sunday, you will only get New Testament. Because I teach Old Testament on Wednesday. It's not some scheme. It's just how it works. But listen, you say, I don't have time to come on Wednesday. That's okay. Don't come. There is a CD on every Old Testament book I've done so far. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd, Samuel, 1st and 2nd, Kings, 1st, 2nd, Chronicles, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, and we're in Psalms now. All those are done. So you want to get a little bit of the Word in you, and you can't come on Wednesday night, and you're hungry for the Old Testament, because the Old Testament is the Bible that Jesus read, then you can just grab the CDs. Grab the CDs. If you don't have a dollar for the CD, take a CD. We'll be okay without the buck. It's more important that you have the Word going in. So I encourage you guys to do that so that you're able to do that. The last thing that we see here when Jesus is controlled by the Holy Spirit and He's and he's reading the Word, the, I just want you to note the last part. It says, He was in the wilderness with wild beasts and who ministered to Him? And angels were ministering to Him. Again, it's an imperfect verb. It means they were continually ministering to Him during that 40-day fast. They would come to Him when when needed. Oh, don't you wish you had that? Oh, by the way, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 1:14 that the holy spirit are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who inherit eternal life? Yeah, he'll send angels to you too. You might not they might not be the winged variety, but he will send ministering spirits to minister to you just like father sent them to the son. Follow Jesus through temptation. Mark 1 verse 14, we see his message. So not only do we want to follow Jesus in baptism and follow him through temptation, but we want to follow him through the gospel. Follow him through the gospel, the gospel, the truth that he came for. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The same message. Same message. The gospel message has not changed. The gospel message has the same gospel message in the Old Testament. Same gospel message by John the Baptist. <clears throat> same gospel message right now. What what here, let me do it easy. Uh, today is the day of salvation. Anybody heard that? He said he said the time is fulfilled. It's time. Today is the day. Now is the time. Now is the time to receive. Your, the, your sins are being paid for. The kingdom of God is at hand. What's that? He's talking about the kingdom is come. The king is standing right here talking to you. And if the king is here standing to you, then the kingdom of God is near. For you and I, Jesus is in heaven. So when we look at the concept of the kingdom is near, the kingdom of God is at hand, what are we looking for? We're looking for our blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Titus tells us. That that's our blessed hope. We're looking for the return of the king. Yeah, it's, it's not Aragorn or something from the hobbits. It's Jesus. Jesus is the return of the king. He's the one who is coming back, who is set to return. So the kingdom has come. Jesus is near. What's the next message? Repent. Change direction. You are headed to destruction. The road you're on is leading to a place you don't want to be. Change the road you're on. Just turn around. Turn around. That's it. That's our part. You don't even have to have the strength to take the next step. Just the willingness to turn around. Repent. What's the last part? Believe in the gospel. Believe in the gospel. That God so loved this world that he sent his only Son, to pay the price for our sin, that as many as believed in Him would not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. It's not complicated, it's simple. It's simple. So when we're following Jesus, we follow Him through the the act of baptism. We follow Him through temptation. He tells us how to overcome. We follow Him through the gospel. He didn't make the gospel complicated. It was easy. The common man understood Him gladly. People were flocking to him. Coming to hear what he had to say. But I don't want you to lose sight. Why were they coming? It's okay. What do you think? Yeah, because every time a sick guy walked by, he got better. Every time a leper asked to be cleansed, he was cleansed. Every time a blind man said, Lord, if you are willing... Every time someone died somewhere close to him, seemed like one time he's walking into the city and there, a funeral's coming out, and he just touches the casket, raises the dead. All of that is what temporary. How do I know it's temporary? Because when the going got tough, who was with him? And even the twelve left. He was left alone. And then slowly they came back. And it begins with a handful. A handful. A handful who are willing to say, I want more than just temporary gain. I want more than just a better job and a nicer life and my husband to love me or my wife to love me or my kids to be good. I want more than that. I want Him. But He's eternally better. Then all of those things. And incorporated in Him is all those things. Everything with Him. We want to follow Him in the Gospel. Believe in the good news. Jesus the Messiah has come to save men from their sins. And look at verse 16. And as He walked by the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon and Andrew, His brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. They are cheating. They're using a net. I use one little hook. I got you, <laughs> I got that hook stuck in my finger last time I was out fishing. It was by the way, if you ever do that, just rip it out yourself. That's four hundred bucks you go to the ER. Four hundred bucks to watch a guy just rip it out of your finger. Why in the world would you pay somebody 400 bucks to do You could have done it for yourself. Never again. Nope, nope. No. I'll do it like the like the old cowboys just push the arrow through. I tried. It just hurt like the dickens. So. Anyhow, I digress. They're they're fishermen. They're they're casting their nets for fish and Jesus said to them, "Follow me and I will make you fishers of men." Man, I just love it. I love it that Jesus goes to them why he go to them you don't think there was a better lawyer that had great speaking ability that that knew a lot more people than those fishermen you think everybody in town was coming down to hang out with Peter hey let's go hang out with Pete yeah we all love Pete we just want to come hear what Pete has to say really look Jesus didn't pick somebody who was amazing and and incredible he just picked somebody who was normal we got any normal people here Hopefully this is the church of the normal. There may be a few AB normal in here, but for the most part, define define it. Yeah, normal is my definition. I can change it at any time. That's how things work at my house with my wife, so it should work okay here. So Jesus, man, he, he goes to the normal, that basic, everyday, ordinary, nothing special person. And I love how the story goes. Mark, I told you, Mark doesn't spare any words, right? He just says, Jesus walked up, said, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. But we know from the other Gospels that Jesus walks up to, to Simon and Andrew's boat. And he says, hey, put out a little ways here. And they put out a little ways. And, and he says, uh, hey, um, why don't you put your nets over? Ugh, We've been fishing all day. There ain't no fish out here. Any fishermen ever said them words? There ain't no fish in this lake. Reservoir. I don't say that no more because the fish whisperer taught me how to fish. Now I just say I caught more fish than you, Jason. I haven't beat Don yet, though. He's pretty good. so. So they go out a little ways. They dip their nets in the water. And they pull out so many fish, he couldn't haul it. They had to bring the other boats over to bring it over. And as they're bringing the boats up to the shore... Peter looks at, at Jesus and he's, he's like, what, what's going on? What's happening? He says, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. I'm nothing special. I'm just a, an old crotchety fisherman. I, I, I say the wrong things. I do the wrong things. You, you should probably be picking somebody else. And Jesus said to him, man, Pete, from now on, you're going to be a fisher of men. I love that. Jesus picked those guys on purpose. He picked you on purpose. He picked me on purpose. Not because I'm something special. Trust me, I'm not. Anybody who knows me knows the the honeymoon period is over at Calvary Chapel Buell, right? I'm going on, just finishing up year six. So you know now there's nothing hid under the hood. This is it. What you see is what you get. You never know if I'm going to have long hair, short hair, big old long burly goatee, or start growing a beard. You just never know what's going to happen, huh? God chooses just regular people, man. You follow Jesus when He calls? Because when Jesus said, Guys, let's go. Mark says, Immediately they got out of the boat, and they followed Him. They left their nets. So Peter... Simon and, and Andrew, they leave their nets, and they go. But then it says they go a little ways further down the road, and what happens? It says, and when he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of, of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and who were also in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called after them, and they left what? What's it say? Their father, Zebedee. Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me bury my father. Well, that's not what the sons of thunder said. The Lord called and they said, Okay. So they left their father. Simon and Andrew left their nets. They all left their jobs. On the drop of a hat from this guy from galilee standing before him doing these incredible things they'd all heard stories about jesus he's going all around the decapolis and he's 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 already beginning to work miracles noise is starting to come back to their ears but man they they follow him there's something had to be something about looking in jesus eyes just makes you want to say yes that's the proper response by the way So when we see Simon and Andrew, what do they illustrate for us? When we follow Jesus, when Jesus calls us, you follow him now. Tomorrow may be a problem, and he'll call again. But if he calls, you go now. How do I know he'll call again? Because Peter went back to fishing a couple times. In fact, at the end after Jesus' resurrection, and the women come back to tell the disciples, the Lord is risen! Yeah, Peter said, hey guys, let's go back to fishing. So Jesus came and found them on the Sea of Galilee. You remember the story. He hollers at him. Peter figures out who it is, jumps. I always thought this was weird. He put his coat on and jumps in the water. (laughs) He's a little confused. He swam up. Jesus already has breakfast for him. They're out there trying to catch fish. Jesus already got breakfast for him. That's where he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than all this stuff, this boat, this job? Do you love me more than fishing? Do you love me more than all these fish? Are you willing to follow me? Peter, will you follow me? He said, Peter, when you follow me, I just want you to know what to expect. When you follow me, in, in, a, in a few years, men are going to crucify you. He said, when you were young, you went where you went. But when you're old... People are going to take you where you don't want to go. Scripture says this, he spoke to Peter about the way he was going to die. You know what he said right after that? Peter, when you follow me, you're going to die for it. Peter, if you follow me, you're going to die. Then Jesus said, come, follow me. Peter looked over at John and said, what about that guy? Jesus said, if I want him to live till I return, what's that to you? Peter, you follow me. So I know God will ask you more than once. I just want you to know the proper response is to follow him now. Now. I can't do nothing about yesterday and I don't know what I'll do about tomorrow but I know what I can do about now. So Simon and Andrew illustrate for us following Jesus now. Immediately going after him. James and John illustrate for us the concept of forsaking all. To follow him. They left it all behind. This is what we know about the Sons of Thunder. By the way, they are the first motorcycle gang. I told you guys before. That's, that's a good motorcycle gang name, right? Sons of Thunder. Come on, you know it. That's what they called those two guys. Zebedee brothers. You know their dad had a big fishing get up. In fact, he was famous you go to Israel, you can go into to a synagogue that got converted into a church. One of the pillars in the synagogue in Capernaum is was donated by the family of Zebedee. Don't you love like reading stuff in the Bible and then going and finding it carved in the stone so you know it's real? The Zebedees, they gave this pillar. Well, he was he was important family. They sold fish to the high priest. The high priest was like the the ruling guy, you know, whether or not King Herod did anything, the power behind it all was the, was the, ru- the ruling priest at the time. And, and they were friends with the family Zebedee. You'll know that because when Jesus gets arrested and taken to crucify it and they're beating him, John walks up to the door that's closed in the outer court. And he knocks on the door and they open it up and they see him. They say, oh, it's John. Because he was known to the high priest, they let him in. Remember, Peter was hiding. John just walked in. He had a lot of clout. But Jesus walked up to him and said, Follow me. And they went and followed him. Man, they just set down the nets. And they went and followed him. And, and man, you know that everything in their life worked out from that point forward. The next three years, everybody loved them. Nobody hated them. Nobody come up behind them and try to give them grief or do any of that stuff. In fact... Do we know who the very first, trick question, martyr of the disciples was? James. Herod killed him with the sword. Killed him with the sword. Man. And John, now there's not sons of thunder, there's just son of thunder. He becomes known as the apostle that Jesus loved, right? What happened to him? Oh, he got exiled on the island of Patmos. What happened before that? Oh, that's right. They, they tried to kill him by boiling him in oil. Only he didn't die. I don't know if he got burned or not. The Bible don't tell us. It just says he didn't... Well, actually the Bible doesn't tell us. Tradition tells us that he didn't die. But we do know that he got exiled out onto the island of Patmos. He lived uh, a full life all the way to the end of his days. And all the way through, all he did was talk about the love of Jesus Christ. That's why he became known as the Apostle of Love. In fact, they would bring him into church. He couldn't walk anymore and they'd carry him up front. And they'd sit him down and he would say, My little children love one another. that'd be pretty much the whole sermon. Don't you wish Jackie would do that sometimes? (laughs) Following Jesus. Man, we follow Him through all of these things. Are we willing to follow Him? Are we willing to live for Christ? Are we willing to learn from Christ? That's the point. We go through Mark. That's the question that's going to be being asked. Will you learn from Christ? Is that how you've learned Christ? Follow me, he says. And will you live for Christ? Living for Christ doesn't always mean life is going to be good. Pastor Saeed has got eight years. And there's no guarantee he's going to get out a day before that, nor is there a guarantee he'll live that long. And if Jesus was talking to Pastor Saeed, which I know he is, But if Jesus was talking to him, his answer would be the same. Will you follow me? And he would say, yes. I know that because he did. The question for us is, will you follow him? He is calling. Will you answer?